Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Open World Podcast. I'm so excited. I'm glad that you're here. I'm joined by my new friend, Ron Malhotra. He is a speaker, success coach, wealth planner, leadership trainer, and a best-selling author. He's been featured by the Huffington Post, International Business Times, the Daily Herald, CNN's iReport, and been endorsed by Jack Canfield. He's also the founder of The Successful Male, a men's movement that helps men to develop holistically so that they become successful in all areas, so that they become principled, high-charactered, purposeful, confident, and successful overall, not just in fitness or in health or in wealth, but in all areas of their life. So even if you're not a man, I think you can really benefit from a lot of the concepts that Ron teaches about leadership and wealth building, and I'm really excited to have him here. His website is ronmalhotra.com, and after that long intro there, I just wanted to say welcome to the show, Ron. Thanks for being here. Well, thank you, Danny. I apologize for having to put you through that mouthful. Um, but I, I, yes, I do do a lot of things. But all, people say, well, you do so many things, Ron. You're running a movement. Uh, you're a wealth planner. You're an entrepreneur. You're a speaker. And, speaker. and I said, well, I'm actually only doing one thing. I'm just helping people live better lives. And, and there's many ways that I can do that. Uh, but ultimately, all I'm doing is teaching. Uh, but thank you, Danny. That's, um, it's great to, be on, um, great to be on this podcast. You're up to a lot of things, and I want to ask you about all of these different things that you're up to. But before I get to that, I would love to ask you, you know, how did you get started on this path as a coach, you know, helping men, helping, you say you work with a lot of women as well, helping them to uh, develop holistically. What was your former life like, and how did you make this transition to where you are now? Yeah, so um, look, I, it's not a sensational racks to riches story or anything of that sort. Um, but I did uh, struggle as a young man. I did have a lot of um, struggle. I, I had, uh, um, I, you know, I had a lot of desire to do something great, but because I didn't have the right mentors and I didn't have any guidance, um, all of my energy was uh, kind of scattered, and uh, it sort of ended up with me, you know, changing jobs frequently, changing girlfriends frequently, just. Because what I was, I was just seeking something, and I didn't know what I was seeking. But, and um, so I was a very restless young man, and I got myself into a lot of trouble. Um, and uh, yeah, and then eventually got to a point where, uh, just uh, you know, just uh, just started to chase the money, thinking that if I had a lot of money, then that would make me matter. Uh, and then, you know, I achieved a reasonable level of financial success, uh, but just felt like there was something missing. And so at one point got to a point where I, you know, I became a bit suicidal and uh, I rang a, um, a lifeline help helpline, which, um, uh, you know, just to tell them that this is what I was thinking. And the guy, you know, he just talked me out of it. And, and, uh, and then a few weeks after that, somebody gave me a book and that got me on the path of personal development. And I haven't looked back since. And um, so I've become a massive, massive advocate of uh, uh, personal development because I, I went from being uh, and uh, you know having repressed anger uh, to not being hold, hold not being able to hold down a job uh, to always being broke uh, to now um, you know ten years later having three successful businesses uh, being an award-winning wealth planner uh, having two best-selling books speaking internationally on stages having two radio shows um, having uh, I'm booked out as far I'm a 
coach and I booked out to late 2017. So, um, and I, and running a very successful men's movement. Um, and so, and I, I sort of saw, you know, that, that, uh, if I was able to re-engineer my life, um, and what I did was I, I, I connected the dots as to how I do, did that. And I thought, well, this puts me in a prime position where I can help other people do the same. And so gone from a sense of uh, complete lack of fulfillment uh, to a life that is completely designed to my liking um, and, and in all aspects, not just in um, in one or two aspects. So, yes, uh, I'm in a very good place uh, now, Danny, but uh, certainly uh, wasn't the case uh, always. Yeah, I think 80 to 90 percent of men can relate to being that young, restless, kind of a little bit angry young man because you have so many questions and uh, you're not really sure who you are, you know, what's going to bring you any kind of satisfaction or fulfillment because, you know, 90 percent of guys are not the varsity quarterback, you know, they're not the lead singer of the most popular band, you know, they're kind of sidelined a little bit. And there's kind of a little bit of restlessness there. I think you mentioned before that, you know, you were chasing status and women and wealth and you felt like if you had these things like these external uh indicators of success that you would feel like you mattered you know like you would arrive at a point where you were fulfilled and the the irony of life is that it's is really not about that at all what would you say kind of creates that fulfillment or where does that feeling of true success come from well yes the the reality is if you're if you're uh, an ambitious and competitive person it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. If you're not in tune with yourself and you don't understand who you are, you'll always try and seek fulfillment through uh, external stimulation and external circumstances. Uh, I uh, One of the things I, I, I love to do now when I speak to men and women is our first question is, uh, who are you? Tell me who you are. And it's interesting how many people define who they are by their name, uh, their heritage, their cultural orientation, maybe their nationality. Uh, the work that they do or their education, and and in 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 most of the cases, if you if you really look, uh, you know, you you will find that a person hasn't picked their own name. They certainly didn't pick their nationality or their culture. In many cases, they haven't picked their religious orientation. And even though they may have picked their career and their education, typically even that is a consequence of, um, you know, um, other people's opinions. It could be influenced through their family or through the media or through their colleagues. So what happens is, and that's why we've got an epidemic of people that have self-esteem issues. And um, you know, over a period of time, if they go unresolved, then you have people that suffer from anxiety, depression, and you know because they don't know who they are. And it's to me, it's quite amazing that you can go your whole life, you can go through the entire education system, you can go through the you know you can be in the workforce for many many years, and and still not have any idea of your own self-concept and not know who you are. Now, who you are. Is, is not based on any of those things. It's actually based on uh, what you really want, what your purpose is, what are you passionate about, what your strengths are, what your values are, how you want to live your life, what your vision is, and what your goals are. Now, if you've never taken the time to ask yourself those questions and you're living from the outside in, where you're so busy that you're trying to find fulfillment through your job or through your social circle or through, through uh, entertainment – you go over a long, you you go your whole life and not ever asking those important questions. You feel this sense of disconnectedness from yourself, and I think a lot of the issues come from there. Uh, and so, when I when I mentor people now, for me, it's become a case of, well, you got to fix the roots because you can go and hedge the branches, you can prune the branches, you can polish the fruit, but ultimately, if the roots are rotting, 
you will never get good quality fruit. So you've got to go back and, and look at the roots. And the roots, in, in every circumstances, you're going to, you've got a person who doesn't really know who they are. Now, if science also shows now that if you, if you have a, a person is completely clear on um, who they are in terms of their values, strengths, vision, purpose, passion, goals, and their mission, they, they're in a state of what's called neurocoherence. Um, and I know because I, when, as a young man, I was always trying to fit in. So I would, you know, try and wear different clothes and try and sound different depending on the environment that I was in. And I was so desperately trying to fit in and I wanted to be cool and I wanted to matter and I wanted people to value me. So what was happening was because I wasn't aware of my self-concept, I was trying all of these different things unconsciously, not realizing that what I was trying to do was to fit in. And you know what happens is when you're trying to when you're forcing things and you're not you're losing your you're no no longer in in touch with your authentic self, you make a fool out of yourself because people can pick up on it. We have humans have a sense, you know, we pick up on people's energy, and then you know all, all of a sudden people find you to be a bit awkward, a bit strange. And so I was that awkward guy, kind of didn't really you know just get didn't have that clarity. And because this sort of stuff is not taught at school, um, y you're pretty much left to work this out by yourself. So gone from having gone from that guy that was, you know, really shaky and, you know, all you had to do was say something to me that I didn't like and you would really upset my day and I would, you know, you would, you would, you would destroy my self-esteem. Now I'm a guy that you can't shake me because I have this in, in, in internal calm and um, I have this um, sense, I know exactly who I am. So, uh, you know, you can't, people can't shake me. Other people's opinions don't define me. I've defined myself. And I think, to me, anyone that is wanting to live a bigger life, have more success or get more results, this is the number one thing you need to sort out. You must know who you are. And, uh, and it's not an easy thing to find out. Uh, if you've gone your whole life, never ask, ask yourself this question. You've got to have a bit of digging to do because uh, you're not going to – the answers are all inside of us except that we're so removed and disconnected from those answers that it takes a little bit of time. Uh, to get back in touch with those answers. And uh, and I think that's where the magic really happens. Okay, so they say that most men live lives of quiet desperation, and you would say that that's because they don't understand who they are. Um, I would say that I think most people who never had any adversity, who kind of lived a comfortable life, uh, they never really exposed themselves, you know, the core of who they are. They've never, you know, been desperate and lonely and hungry and had to dig deep to find those deep answers. Would you say that's true? Like, do you need to kind of have like a dark night of the soul and go through this kind of catharsis where you're questioning everything and all your beliefs have been shattered? And I feel like that's, that can be kind of a lonely place because I'm sure, I know you've been through it. You said you were suicidal. I know that I've been through it. I've had these earth uh, shaking moments of doubt and kind of frustration because, you know, the things I thought that I believed in weren't really working for me. So do you think that's kind of necessary to go through that, uh, to go through those growing pains? That's a really good question, Danny. It certainly appears to be that way. I mean, everywhere I've seen someone um, step into their greatness and, um, you know, uh, played the big game. In, in most cases, I've seen people who've had some significant setbacks and challenges. Um, and uh, maybe they've come from um, you know, poverty backgrounds, or maybe they've had um, problems with health, or um, you know, broken families, or uh, maybe they've gone through financial disasters or relationship disasters. Uh, but it certainly appears that um, people who have 
um, you know, have had challenges and have learned to perceive those challenges in a positive light and then use those challenges as catalysts for transformation have then gone on to achieve some fantastic things. Um, even when I studied, uh, you know, I studied, I, I did a lot of study in leadership and studying the lives of some of the, the best leaders in the world that have ever walked this planet. Um, one of the things that became evident was that a uh, vast majority of leaders that really uh, shifted things in the world and uh, created massive impact, uh, most of them did come from disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, so there certainly seems to be this, um, you know, uh, this a blessing in disguise where, um, you know, if th those kind of events, and it all depends on the individual because there are certain people that are defeated by those circumstances. And I think, and I think part of the problem is how we perceive those circumstances. You know, um, there's a research that said, you know, um, it's not stress that's bad for you. It's how you perceive stress because they, they did some research where they took a, um, a team of people that were working in the same, um, same organization in the same department and, and they found that some of them were having health issues and some of them weren't. And in both, in both cases, in, in, you know, they, all the people were going through the same pressures at work. But the, the people that uh, actually were suffering from physiological illnesses were people that perceived stress to be a bad thing. Um, whereas the other group, which, which were, were relatively, the people that were relatively healthier, uh, they just took stress as a part of their daily life. And um, so, you know, everyone has setbacks. I don't. I, I actually don't know of any individual that hasn't had some sort of setbacks and challenges. And even those that seem to be living a really good life, where they've seemed to have everything in order, even they've got their own personal challenges. But I think it's more how we perceive those challenges. Um, so science is a really interesting. Science is now starting to show that what we believe actually changes our DNA. Um, Dr. Bruce Lipton, he's a um, He's an amazing guy who has done a lot of research into how uh, literally the, um, uh, the, the DNA starts to produce a different type of protein based on the beliefs that we carry. And so, you know, so, so it does come, to, come down to perception. But I have to agree with you. I do think that some of those challenges can be uh, catalysts for positive transformation. Uh, but the key differentiator is how you perceive those challenges. And you're Indian also, right? Because this reminds me of a conversation I had in India with a guy I had lunch with, and he was saying, you know, that you could cure any uh, illness just by your thoughts, you know, because he said it's all energy and it's all connected. And I was like, yeah, but I think, you know, medicine helps a little bit here. But I, I do understand and agree that, you know, when you carry stress in your body, it does manifest itself as physical pain. It does, you know, cause your hair to fall out. It does cause you to be more at risk for sickness. It also makes, you know, your life shorter because it uh, affects the oxidation, oxidative stress in your body, things like this. So could you, could you talk a little more about that? Yeah, I, I just, you know, I, when I did some training through Jack Canfield, and Jack Canfield's um, one of my mentors, but I've, I've done training through some of the best mentors, uh, in, you know, in the world uh, when it comes to mindset, psychology of achievement, success principles, uh, leadership, and so on and so forth. Um, Jack Canfield's got a really interesting formula. He says E plus R equals O. And he said e event, so E is event, R equals your response. Um, so R is your response and O is, your, is the outcome. So event plus response equals outcome. And what it actually means is it's not the event that determines the outcome in the long term. It's your response to the event. 
And uh, you mentioned my my heritage. Yes, so so by background, I'm Indian, although um, I have, uh, you know, racially I'm Indian, but culturally I don't feel that way. Um, the the interesting thing is that, that that when I was growing up, my father actually tried to educate me on a lot of, a lot of this wisdom that comes from India because it, the Indian culture is a very old culture and it's been – there's a lot of wisdom there in regards to the art of living and, you know, what what, what are the – you know, and, and the link between the mind and the body. Except that when I was young, I, I, I didn't want to listen to any of that because, uh, you know, meditation and yoga is just not that appealing to a young man. You know, I, I, I was more interested in getting tattoos and, and you know, putting some heavy metal on and, 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 and doing some strength training at the gym because that was a lot more sexier than just, you know, doing yoga and meditation. Of course, as I've grown, grown older and I've started to realize uh, the, the, the wisdom and, and, you know, and, and the application of that wisdom, I have become more embracing of uh, some of those things. But it, it's interesting, I, when I've gone back to India, it's interesting how even Indians have moved away from that stuff. Because it's just not as cool as some of the, the stuff that, that, that we do in the Western society. Um, but but there is a lot of uh, wisdom in there. There's a lot of um, um, you know time-tested practices that have uh, that have assisted uh, in in a better way of life. Uh, so um, um, I I absolutely believe in the link between mind and body. I uh, this concept between mind and body is a, a vital one when it comes to life success because there is definitely a link uh, between how we think um, and our actions and. Uh, even uh, you know a lot of the science has now shown that your predominant emotional state, uh, in fact, influences your electromagnetic signature of your body, which is the electromagnetic frequency that your body produces. So your predominant emotional state actually influences your, uh, you know, the your electromagnetic signature. And, and so, uh, if you're constantly in a say state of stress or um, guilt or shame, uh, you're actually operating on a very low frequency. Uh, and that frequency, that low frequency, is conducive to death and disease and and illnesses. Uh, whereas if you're operating on a high frequency, uh, you are, you know, and, and interesting, they've actually measured frequency from 20 to 1,000, and they found that anything under 150 is actually bad for you. So, and and how your frequency is determined by your pre- predominant emotional state. So if you're somebody that's constantly living in feelings of guilt or shame or anger, you're producing a very low frequency. Over a period of time, that will affect uh, your organs. It will affect your health. Um, and on a higher frequency, we're talking about feelings of love, joy, peace, so on and so forth. Um, David, uh, Dr. David Hawkins uh, wrote a very good book called uh, uh, Transcending the Levels of Consciousness. And uh, he actually talks about this because the frequencies were measured. Um, and e- even if you at a very basic level, you, you if you're talking to a human being, and you'll see that if, you know, if a person's angry, their breathing automatically changes. Uh, if they're really stressed out, their breathing changes. If they relax, their breathing changes. So the body automatically uh, follows the mind, uh, whether the person's conscious of it or not. Um, but even from a results perspective, uh, we must understand that in the long term, our behaviors are, are dictated by how we're feeling. And how we're feeling is dictated by how we think. And so uh, if you want to change our results – we can't just change our behaviors. We've actually got to go and change our thinking first. And this is why every personal development guru will tell you that it all starts with the mind. Uh, every, If you want to change the results, you've got to go back to the root cause. And it, the root cause is always how you think because your thinks, thinking determines your feelings. Your feelings determine your behaviors and your behaviors in turn determine your results. So if you're not happy with your results in any area of your life, whether that's health, 
relationships, career or finances, you need to go back and examine what's going on in your head. Um, why is it that some people continue to make bad investment decisions? No matter what investment decisions they make, they lose money. Why is it that some men or women continuously find themselves with abusive partners or cheating partners? Um, why is it that some people have a propensity to just make bad business decisions one after another? Uh, why do these trends happen? Why do these repeated trends? Why is it that there are some people that uh, find it extremely difficult to hold down a job? No matter where they go, they end up with a bad boss. You know, they have their previous job, the same thing happened, this job, the same thing happened. A lot of the times people don't make the connection that uh, it is, they're creating those circumstances by the way they think. And so they're inadvertently going out and seeking situations that will cause them to think in a certain way. So it's, it's literally they're reinforcing, they're finding circumstances that will reinforce the current way of thinking. If they're not aware of these patterns, they can't break out of them. And so uh, here, so let's, just, let's just talk about somebody, and I, I coach a lot of coaches now, and uh, a lot of them have money problems. Um, they do fantastic work. Uh, they, they're very heart-centric. They have a fantastic message. Uh, they have a depth of expertise, but they can't make money. Why? Because a lot of them are self will tell you and they'll admit and they'll say, well, they'll usually start the conversation by saying, I'm not about money. I don't really value money. I actually want to help people. And, but here is the issue. If you don't value money, it's not going to stick around. Money will always flow from the person that doesn't value it to the person that values it more because it's an energy. And I use this example, I actually used it at a sem an event last night. And I said, just imagine you're about to marry somebody and you're about to exchange vows and you say to this person, oh, I, I like you, but you know, you don't matter to me that much. I'm not. I don't really value you that much. What are the chances that that person is going to stick around? Now, if you apply that in the context of money, money is an energy. Now, if you keep saying a money is not important or it's not that important, you're not. You can't have it. Um, and the other problem is the people that say those things have, unfortunately, made an a subconscious disconnection or connection between materialism and money. So even if they come into money, they can't. They 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 engage in activities where they end up getting rid of it really really fast because there is an internal disconnection which says money is greed or money is bad or money is means that I'm being superficial or materialistic. And so because subconsciously this we we have associated money with something negative, the subconscious mind's job is to actually protect us. It then engages us in unconscious behaviors where we actually find ways to lose the money. I was talking to a client of mine. She, she, she had one of those beliefs. She just didn't think that money is that important. She doesn't value it. She has this in, internal disconnection that you know, money, you know, greedy um, people that want money are greedy people, or they're selfish and so on and so forth. So even when she makes money, and recently the biggest mistake that she's made was she spent fifteen thousand uh, dollars on some web designer, and who was obviously taking her for a ride and not delivered rendered the services. And she does that consistently. She makes money, then she finds some, she makes a bad decision and she gets rid of it. And she's so helplessly doing it and she can't work out why. Um, so, you know, um, so I, I really fully feel that there is a massive connection, whether we talk about money or relationships or business, unless people really understand and become aware of what's going on in their mind, it is very hard to control the outcomes. And so, Going back to my previous point where I said, you know, I think the first thing people need to do is to work out who they are. I think the second most important thing that people need to do is to work out how their mind works. Because most people, unfortunately, are conditioned 
to only use their conscious faculties to make decisions. But but a lot of our behaviors and habits and values and self-image doesn't come from conscious thinking. And if you don't understand that, we may think we're thinking, but we're actually not thinking. Uh, we're just doing without thinking. It's, it, it becomes habitual behaviors. Um, so the second part of development, whether it's men or women, it, it's, it's okay. We'll understand who you are and then spend some time learning about how your mind works. Because when you understand how your mind works, guess what? You will understand how other people's mind works. And when you understand how other people's mind works, and you sometimes we've had frustrating situations where we have a friend or a family member and we, we say, hey, um, you should do this. And we tell them over and over again, but they don't do it. Well, why don't they do it? It's not because they don't have the information. It's because they're reacting unconsciously. So when you understand yourself, you start to understand why people all don't always do what they should do. Why don't they exercise more and eat less? Why don't they save money? Why don't they invest money? Why don't they do the right things when it comes to their partners and, and their husbands and wives? You start to understand that just because people know something, that doesn't mean they're going to do it. And so for me, 80% of my mentoring services are now designed around uh, getting people to master these two concepts where they fully understand who they are, they have complete clarity because that will create a level of conviction and confidence and neurocoherence. And the second is to completely work out how their mind works and how to tap into the faculties of their mind, which will produce powerful outcomes for them. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit more about, I really like what you were saying, you started talking about wealth and relationship with money. I recently wrote an article about you know money metaphors and money mindsets and abundance mindsets and also why uh, poor people tend to make poor decisions. One reason I think is because they've never actually had to manage a lot of money. You know, a lot of it's been kind of taken care of for them, you know, by their employer or, uh, you know, by society as a whole. So they don't really know how to manage their money. I think that a lot of people use the metaphor of maybe like money being a rechargeable battery, you know, like a, your ATM balance. And then you recharge the battery, you go to work and they never really break out of that paradigm, I think. And I think there's some more empowering ways to think of money. You know, maybe money is like uh, water, you know, money that you can used to build long-term assets. And I think that, you know, people who are locked in scarcity, they don't think about the long-term. They do everything for the short-term. Uh, I'd like to pick your brain and see, like, how can we install a newer and better operating system in people's minds as far as money is concerned? That's a really good question. So as a wealth advisor, you know, I spent uh, the best part of my career uh, doing wealth plans for people that where there was a, ma a lot of emphasis on strategy and selection of investments and portfolio construction and all the technical jargon that really doesn't engage people. And then I started to realize that you could sometimes put the best plan in front of a client. You can put the best strategies in place. You can construct the best investment portfolios. It doesn't mean anything because the client's emotional biases will always get in the way. Even if you look at the equities or share market, you will find that it's largely dictated by fear and greed. Um, and there's two fields of finance that have emerged, neuroeconomics and behavioral finance, that have studied the link between how people think and the, the, end of wealth and the, the amount of wealth that they end up creating. Now, most people, when it comes to money, are, are operating from one of two places. Either it's fear, uh, so maybe they grew up with parents that were, uh, you know, kids in the Industrial Revolution and jobs were scarce and money was scarce, and so with the culture of hoarding, or they maybe said things like, you know, um, we don't talk about money or, um, you know, um, 
women should not manage manage money or those sorts of things and so we, when we were told those things uh, when we when we were very very young it ends up forming a belief system and so we that belief system then starts to guide our, our thinking and our actions later on in life um so so behaviors and and and, and how we think about money is really important so one of the things i said to people is you know um understand that money is important in certain areas so number one the best part about money is that when you have a lot of it you have more options in life if you have less money you have less options you can't really decide where you want to live you can't decide wh- what kind of education you want to pursue where you want to travel what kind of food you want to eat what kind of gym membership you want to buy so the less money you have the less options you have when you become really clear about this in your mind and you rationalize why you must have money and you make it you make a connection an intentional connection between money and something that it matters to you in a positive sense then you are starting to change that belief system but you must be intentional about it so not just a sort of a wishy-washy idea around yeah or, you know I know money is important I value money no 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 become ultra specific around why it's important to you right uh, and i would highly recommend that you write those reasons down uh, it's a science of pred- predictive encoding when you write something down you reinforce it in your mind and the more you write that through repetition you embed that in the deeper part of your mind which is actually responsible for how you think feel and act so one of the benefits of having money is that it more money means more options the second benefit of money is that you have more control Uh, to the point that if you have less money who's making decisions for you maybe your family you're reliant on the government you're reliant on um, the medical system uh, the t- the tax uh, system so basically you're at the mercy of everybody else if you don't have money um, so for me it's a, a very very clear to me that i want money because uh, not because i so i can drive the most expensive mercedes benz or pr- a private jet um, although those are lifestyle considerations and they're fine as well but for me it's this complete uh, undisputed understanding there's no conflict in my mind about this that money will give me more uh, options in life it will give me more control in life but thirdly which is a really um, i guess it's a hard based decision is that the more money i have the more i can contribute to causes or help people that i care about i can't do that if i don't have enough money So so many people say oh you know all I just want enough um I had this conversation with someone in my own family and they said you know why be so greedy why why I I'd just be happy if I have a house and a car and my bills are paid I'd just be happy and I think if you want any more than that then that's selfish and I said no I disagree I think it's selfish just to want enough for yourself uh, what impact can you have how much people can how many people can you affect and it's not like there's a scarcity of money out there So why are we even accepting that we will just ha- happy to have this much because again deep down you made a dis- you made a connection in your mind that says or oh, if I have more money then maybe I'm not a good person or and I say money is a fantastic magnifier it will make a good person better and it'll make a bad person worse um but if you're a good person and you are the type of uh, person that has you cares about certain causes or you care about certain people guess what the more money you have the more you're able to help those people or contribute to those causes that you care about but you must become intentional about this for as long as this is a vague idea in the back of your mind and you don't become intentionally you don't intentionally value money your chances of attracting money into your life are very very slim 
That's the first thing you've got to do. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to start keep reinforcing positive concepts about money. So proactively start to look for examples that are financially successful, but are making a positive contribution or doing things that you'd like to be doing. So rather than seeking out examples of people that are doing bad things with money, which will only reinforce your negative beliefs about money, start finding some positive examples of people doing positive things with money. So that's another way you can reinforce it. Okay, so can you give me some examples of that? And also the first thing that you said, um, can you give us like some like a homework assignment? Like is there a daily exercise people can do as far as you know writing down why they value money? Like is there a way to kind of reinforce these concepts? Yeah, so I um I look I mean as far as examples of people that contribute to causes, I mean you can you can say that let's just say Oprah Winfrey's got a net worth of five billion dollars and we can sit there and argue and say, Well, that's great, why should anyone have five billion dollars? But then let's just remember also that it's only people like Oprah Winfrey that have the capacity to build schools and gives, give millions of dollars away to, ch- to charity. So what we're then trying to do is we're intentionally trying to find that positive link between people that have a lot of money, but they do positive things with that money. Uh, and there's many examples. I, I came across an example. I was at a, um, a um, socially social global social awareness conference in, in Singapore, and there was a gentleman there who sold his laboratory for $600 million uh, to an American company, and he gave 80% of that money away to charity. Now, you, that's a noble deed. And I kind of think, you know, there's, peop, there's definitely people out there that make, make large amounts of money because of their obsession to see to cause a change, because of their passion to do something fantastic. But rather than hoarding that money, a lot of them actually give that money away. Of course, there's people that hoard the money as well. But why do you want to, why do you want to seek that out? Why don't you just seek out positive examples of money that do positive things with money? Uh, the other thing is I, I certainly use uh, a lot of positive affirmations because our self-talk determines uh, our neural pathways. So the more you think thoughts repeatedly, the more you say things repeatedly over and over and over again, you start to re- rebuild a new set of neural pathways in your brain. And those neural pathways through repetition become more and more embedded into your brain. And as they become more and more embedded, they start to generate uh, certain types of thoughts and feelings uh, over and over again. So one of the things I suggested that people do is apart from becoming intentional about money and starting to value money, uh, start doing some affirmations. So one of my favorite affirmations um, is, you know, uh, I'm so happy and grateful that money comes to me in increasing quantities from multiple sources. Um, I do that every day because, again, it's for me, it's it's a daily renewal of the mind. Why? Because from the time we get up in the morning, we have so much external stimulus to distract us that if we're not intentionally embedding these concepts in our mind on a daily basis, we lose focus. Um, so use positive affirmations. Wealth is good. I, I believe – and use them in the present tense. Uh, there's been a lot of research done about the fact that the subconscious mind does not perceive messages um, that are in the future. So you must use them in the present tense because um, it actually perceives them as being real. Um, and because the subconscious mind has no capability to um, differentiate between real and imagined events, if you keep saying it over and over and over again – eventually it'll accept that to be a reality uh, initially it may reject it because um you know it's it's not something if you say for example if you've never made hundred thousand dollars a month and you start to say to yourself oh i'm making hundred thousand dollars a month it's going to feel unnatural to you you're going to feel silly saying it because you've never made hundred thousand dollars a month but i guarantee you if you keep writing that over and over again and you keep saying that to yourself over and over again eventually at some point it's going to start to feel a little bit more natural to you 
And when it starts to feel a bit more natural to you, guess what? Now you're starting to create a state of expectation. And you may not want 100000 And this is the thing. You've really got to want it from your heart. Don't just say, I want a million dollars if it doesn't emotionally inspire you. So set a goal, a financial goal that is big, but fun, but but that's something that inspires you, inspires feelings inside of you. Because our feelings are very powerful. It's been, they've actually researched that our thoughts have electrical energy and our feelings have magnetic energy. And so when you combine the thought with powerful feelings, you have a formula for real manifestation. And, um, and that's why you must have a why as to why you want the money. So for me, my reasons are very, very clear. I, as I build this men's movement and I, I made the decision that I want to impact the lives of one million men, it became very clear to me that if I'm not adequately resourced, I cannot keep putting money in there. I cannot keep developing high quality curriculum. I, I cannot keep inspiring. I can't keep running events. I can't attract uh, the best uh, corporate sponsors of media deals. So for me, my reason for making a lot of money are very, very clear to me. And because they're very clear to me and because I practice these affirmations on a regular basis, I set very big goals with money, but I never set goals that do not inspire me. They must inspire some feeling inside of me because otherwise it just becomes a case of, well, I just want a million dollars. Why do you want a million dollars? Because you're just testing this scenario. You don't actually believe in it. Why do you want a million dollars? You must know why you want it. Um, so when you combine a powerful thought with an objective and with powerful feelings, now you start to create something. It may not happen instantly, but if you persist with it long enough, you're going to start to see a shift. You're going to start to feel comfortable. Um, every Olympic athlete, every motivational speaker will tell you, this is why visualization works. Why? Because you practice in your mind. Then when the reality actually happens, you're comfortable with that reality. Yes. Because otherwise what's going to happen is, if you find yourself in a reality that is very close to your upper limit of success, or beyond your upper limit of success, you will automatically engage in self-sabotage behaviors because your subconscious mind knows that you've ventured into a territory for which you have no cells of recognition. And so you have to, as a protection mechanism, it's going to get you to make decisions or feel or think in a way to get rid of that very thing because it's saying, hang on, this is dangerous. You're about to venture into something that you have no cells of recognition for. So you build that source of those cells of recognition by practicing that scenario in your mind first, and you do that by being intentional about what, what you want, why you want it, associating feelings with it, and then repetitively doing visualization and affirmations. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that experience of you know wanting a certain amount of money but feeling emotionally disconnected from it without that emotionality in it. And like I would have these income goals when I first started as an entrepreneur and. I just felt like that, kind of like what you felt when you were in your early 20s, like that, if I arrived there, then I would be successful. If I did this, then I would be successful. And I suddenly realized that you know, I was kind of spinning the wheels and I was chasing these arbitrary moving targets. And I found that it was really helpful to really define what my true goals were, you know, the things that really, that I really wanted to do that really excited me. And once I defined it, you know, I could break those down into action steps. I could say, this is how much this is going to cost. This is how I can make this happen. And then it was much more manageable. It was much easier to um, allocate resources, to um, you know, attract the kind of clients that I needed, attract the wealth that I needed to make these things happen. And I also found that it was really helpful, you know, starting a mastermind group, keeping myself accountable. I know that you know some of the stuff that you talk about kind of sounds. It reminds me of Tony Robbins. You know, you talk about neural pathways, and I know that Tony is really big on accountability. So if you say that you're going to do something, you've got to follow through. I know that he plunges himself in uh, 
cold water every morning to remind his brain and body to work together. Like he says, if I'm going to do this, if I say I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. I found that having, you know, like um, accountability partners, you know, being in a mastermind group saying like, this is what I'm going to do this week. And then you follow up the next week. I found that to be really helpful. Things like this. Uh, what else? <clears throat> yeah, all of these. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Masterminds <laughs> are a very effective way of, uh, you know, leveraging of other people's intelligence and also having somebody hold you accountable. But the best type of accountability is something that pulls you because uh, I I personally would would say that yes um, absolutely it, it's it's good it's it's uh, it can be helpful uh, to have somebody that um, pushes you and keeps you accountable. But what's even better is a vision that pulls you so that you don't need and you're not reliant on somebody uh, to do that. So one of the things that I do, which is kind of different from a lot of the other coaches out there, is I try and make people self-sufficient to my own detriment, so that they don't need me anymore. And um, a lot of, if I make them dependent on me, where the only way that they're going to do something is uh, through, um, you know, um, accountability practices, then the issue then is I've just, I have, I have, I, they're not empowered anymore because now they need me or they need somebody else outside of them to help them. So the best thing is to first help them identify exactly what it is that really inspires them to the core you know, if we can get to that, you do not need any external influence to get out of bed in the morning. Um, because then it's not, a, it's not a case of making a conscious decision going, I'm going to do this. The pull is so strong because now you've gone from doing something that maybe was a job to you or a career to you to now picking a calling. And calling, if you understand the word calling, what is it? Something's calling you. You're being pulled into it. And that's a very powerful state. Now, research also shows that when you go, when you transition from having a job or a career to actually pursuing something that is in line with your calling, you automatically are operating from your zone of genius. If you're not in that zone, guess what? You're either operating from your zone of incompetence, zone of competence, and or maybe even zone of excellence, but none of them are as powerful as the zone of genius. So you want to get to that zone of genius where you are naturally inspired it is. It feels so natural to you. And, and this, here's the thing. Here's the most interesting thing, Danny. Everybody has that thing in them. There's one thing that everyone is exceptionally good at, and they can do more. They can do it effortlessly compared to other people. And if you develop that, if you first of all, if you identify what that thing is, and then you spend time developing and nurturing that, you can make quantum leaps rather than incremental improvements. And so that's exactly what I did. I never knew my. Throughout my 20s, I did not know that I had a knack for speaking. I did not know that I had a knack for writing. Um, I didn't know that I was creative. And so because I didn't know that, I was pretty good at my jobs because I was still operating from a zone of competence, a zone of um, excellence. But it was only when I started to really identify my true calling, which is so in line with my purpose and passion, that I, I ventured into this zone where I started to produce amazing work without any conscious thought. Certainly didn't need a mentor. I certainly need to be need, didn't need to be told. I just had it in me. I was downloading ideas one after another after another. My hands couldn't keep up with how fast I wanted to write. And I studied this concept and I came to the conclusion that people that have produced legendary work, whether it's someone like Michael Jackson producing mu music or Beyonce producing music or you've got Van Gogh producing art or Michelangelo or Van or Picasso, these people were operating from their zone of genius. There was no conscious thought required in what they were doing. They were being driven through this in internal sense of, and they were they had almost this instinct driving them. 
and this intuitive sense driving them. So I'm not saying that you can, you can do really well with a mentor, you can do really well with a mastermind, but you're not in your zone of genius still because the zone of genius is a place where you will work crazy hours, you will lose concept of time and space, you will even forget to go to the toilet and eat and you will find that you're still just going on and on and on and on and you you just feel unstoppable. And that's an amazing, I, have exper- I experienced it on such a regular basis that for me, it's it's a case of how can I get my clients to experience this? Because once they experience this, get what, guess what? They will never go back to accepting a small life. So that's, that's all of the things that you, you mentioned, pardon? Yeah, those are some great points you brought up. It reminds me of an interview I did on this podcast. I don't know the exact number, but it was with Jero Taylor, and he talks about flow states and creating flow states and, you know, where you're just in such a zone that uh, anything that, you know, you're operating on a higher level than most people or your normal self. I think that's kind of what you're, you're referring to there. And I think it's a great suggestion you just made about identifying your areas of com- competence, you know, what your strengths are, and letting those go, you know, exploring those, seeing how far you can go. And I find it to be really helpful if I, I do a technique called mindstorming, if I'm faced with a challenge, identifying you know what my strengths are, how I'm going to use these strengths to overcome this challenge, and writing down the reasons why I can be successful. You know, because if I'm going to try something new, there's a lot of uncertainty, there's a lot of doubt. So I'll say I'm going to apply my strengths to this, and I have all these reasons why I'm going to succeed, and it really helps me to get started and to manifest whatever it is I want to create. Yes. Yeah. I absolutely agree, and I think you're doing some wonderful work. And um, you know, and and I and 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 thank you, and um, for even you know providing other people a forum to uh, to share um, you know what's working for them, because uh, collectively, if we're all discussing these ideas and strategies that are transforming our lives, and we and, and you've provided a platform for people to share that, then you're doing some wonderful work because now. Um, you know, you, you're making a difference with what you're doing. So I'm very appreciative of that. And, and I absolutely agree with all the things that you're doing, Danny. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate you too. And I appreciate your time sharing everything that you've shared with us today. I, I had a couple other questions that I just want to pick your brain about before we sign off here. Let's talk about thinking bigger and living bigger, because those are the two uh, core benefits that you mentioned on your on your website. So if you're working with someone like myself, you know, I've had some success in some areas, but let's say that I want to do more, you know, because you climb one mountain and you find that there's 10 other mountains that you have to climb that are even higher than the one you just climbed. So, you know, people like us, we're always striving for a greater achievement. We always want to contribute more. How can I become the best Danny that I can be? It's a really good question, Danny. So, um, We've all heard about goal setting, right? So here's the thing. I don't think there's anyone out there that hasn't heard about goal setting. We all know that we should do it. Um, despite the fact that everybody, it's common knowledge. Very few people actually set goals. Um, I think it was one of Brian Tracy's books where he actually said that there was a study done according to American University where they found that only 3% of people actually set goals. Out of the 3% of people that actually set goals, very few of them have their goals in writing. And out of the, all the people that have their goals in writing, vast majority of the people have the wrong types of goals. So what's the wrong type of goal? Let's talk about that. 
if you let's just say let's just let me let me just use a, make a hypothetical I'll use a hypothetical example here. So let's just let's just say I'm a corporate employee, and last year I I'm thousand dollars my performance. And let's just say 2016, I made a ten thousand dollar bonus, and 2017, I decide I want to make I want to make a ten thousand dollar bonus again. Um, so that's a goal that I've achieved in the past, and so I, I know how to achieve. And if you find that the the people that do set goals and write write them down, you'll find that vast majority of people would set goals based on what they've already achieved in the past. Some people will set a goal that they haven't achieved in the past. So uh, using the same example, let's just say I'm a corporate employee and I made a $10,000 bonus last year. And 2017, next year, I, want, I, I, I intend on making a $20,000 bonus. That's a goal that I've never achieved in the past. But I kind of know how to achieve it. So I figure that if I stay back in the office, I make some extra calls, um, I become better at sales and conversions and customer service, maybe I can make $20,000. Even this type of goal is the wrong type of goal. I encourage people to set a goal that is based on what they really want, not based on what they think they can get. Now, most people will not do that. And why they will not do that is because the first thing that's going to get in the way is, well, how am I going to do that? So the how gets in the way. And what people don't realize is that the how is an intellectual consideration. Give yourself a chance. First, set a massive objective, something that you really want, not, not something that you think you're going to get from your current position. Forget about your current position. What do you really, really want? You must identify what that is. And again, going back to what I said earlier, it must be something that inspires in some emotion in you. So once you've worked out exactly what you want, and typically it should be massive, it should scare you. If it doesn't scare you, it's the wrong type of goal. Again, that means you've settled. Why is it that most people don't get too many, most people don't achieve a lot of improvement in their life, and if they do, it's usually in small increments, or because they set small goals. You want big quantum leaps in your life, set a massive goal, don't worry about the how. Forget about the conventional wisdom about you need to know how, don't worry about the how for now. And I'll tell you why you don't need to worry about the how. As long as you you've, you've identified a goal that really inspires you and scares you at the same time, and it's something that you really, really want, all you have to do now is make sure that it is something that you stay focused on. As you stay focused on it, oh, something wonderful will happen. You will trigger this part of your brain mechanism called the reticular activation system. You may have heard of this, Danny. Uh, the reticular yeah. activation system is the part of the brain which, uh, like right now as you're talking to me right now and for anyone that's listening to this podcast, uh, I would say, for example, can you feel your right foot? And as your attention goes in your right foot, all of a sudden you can feel it. But the, whole, the right foot was there the whole time throughout this whole podcast, but you didn't feel the sensation. Why? Because your brain blocked it out. Now, what's happening is in our life, our brain is blocking out a lot of the information around us to keep us sane. But unfortunately, it's blocking a lot of the information that we need in order to get to where we really want. And so when we identify what it is that we really, really want and we stay focused on it, we activate our reticular activation system. Just like I've just put your attention on your right foot. Or let's use another example. A common example is you buy a car. Let's just say you buy a red Mazda. From the time that you decide that you're going to buy a red Mazda, you start to see them everywhere. Why? Because you've just triggered your reticular activation system. The red Mazdas were always there, 
but we were literally blind to them before. And now, all of a sudden, they're, all, they're not in a blind spot anymore. So when you trigger your reticular activation system, what your brain does is it starts to automatically identify people, identify events, identify opportunities, and identify situations that you need in order to get closer to that goal. Because when I set a goal that I was going to run the successful male movement and I was going to impact one million men, all I knew was that I really wanted it. All I knew was that it really inspires me. All I knew was it really scares me. I had no idea how I was going to get there. I still don't know how I'm going to get there. But that didn't deter me from setting a big goal. But the momentum that I gained as a result of setting a big goal like that, the, the, the amount of impact that I was able to have in such a short space of time, because I dared to have set a big goal like that, would not have happened if I had let the how get in the way. Because the how would tell me, well, how am I going to do this? Don't worry about setting such a big goal. Maybe start with 500 men. Because that seems logical, right? But when it comes to these sorts of things, I highly encourage people, do not let logic get in the way. Because sometimes the mind is a fantastic resource, but sometimes it's an impediment to success. Because when we can't rationalize how we're going to do it, we give up on that goal. Now, here is the thing. If you stay focused on it, and this is what's happened with me, and I'll share my own personal example, I set that goal, didn't know anything at the, t at the time. All of a sudden, I started to come up with all these amazing ideas. I was going to launch the Successful Mail magazine, how I was going to run my events, what, aspirational, uh, what aspirations we stood for, what our mission statement is, what kind of men we want to attract, what kind of program I want to build. But when I set that goal, I had no idea. I had no idea that, and now I'm starting to think big and go, well, I've got to get corporate sponsors, I've got to get media, I've got to get celebrity endorsements. But these ideas would have not occurred to me if I had not set that big goal in the first place, the only reason these ideas are coming to me is because my mind is now coming up trying to find ideas to help me get closer to that goal. Now imagine what would happen if I said I want, I want the successful male to be a billion-dollar brand. From where I sit right now, I can't see the possibilities. But if I just choose right now to engage with that, I absolutely assure you that if I just stay focused on that, I'm going to start to download ideas that will tell me how to get closer to that goal. So it's less about capability. It's really about courage to think big. And most people, unfortunately, will not allow themselves to think big. Their mind will get in the way and start to rationalize and say, well, hang on, it's not going to happen for you because, look, I mean, you're making $100,000. How are you going to make a million dollars a year? Or how are you going to, yeah, you've only coached 30 people in your life. How are you going to impact 1 million people in your life? Whatever it is. It'll start to give you all the reasons why you can't do it. And you have to have the ability to block that noise out and stay focused on your dream. Because when you read about all the people that have achieved greatness and have made quantum leaps in their life and have created a massive shift in the world, the people, they've had this thing in common about them. They've had a big, massive vision. And despite all the noise and all the criticism and all the reasons why they shouldn't do it, they stay focused on that vision. And that's really, really key. Set a big goal, stay focused on it. I'm so glad that you mentioned the reticular activating system as well, because it's something I mentioned in my book, Hack Sleep. And it's kind of like the brain's feedback center that affects your uh, cycle of sleeping and wakefulness, you know, how energized, how engaged you are. And in the context of sleep hacking, I talk about serotonin and, you know, light when it enters the brain, it becomes serotonin, it becomes energy. 
I've never heard of it used in the context that you just referred to, but I think it's kind of the key that affects all of the things that you've been talking about, like, you know, your thoughts, and I think it affects willpower as well. I think that willpower is something all of us kind of struggle with. When we drink coffee, uh, caffeine, for example, what we're really after is willpower, you know, the will to kind of show up and do work and things like this. What are some ways that we can kind of hack this area of our brain, the uh, reticular activating system? So, again, it's, uh, just, just treat the mind as a radio, right? So if the yeah. radio is off, it's not connected to the frequency, um, even though it's got the capacity to download information and broadcast music or programs. When it's off, it's off. Your brain's exactly like that. When it's on, it starts to pick up frequency and it starts to give you ideas. Now, I'm not a big fan. I, I, I use my willpower mainly in one area, to stay focused on what I want. Um, I don't use willpower for like you know things that require physical exertion and things like that. I'd rather pick something that pulls me. It's a lot easier because willpower can be quite, I think in the long term it's not sustainable personally. I think in the short term it's good, you can use it. But really in the long term you just want to develop a habit of success because then you've gone from, uh, you know, you've gone from conscious competency to unconscious competency where success becomes a habit. And we, what happens when anything becomes a habit? We do it unconsciously. We do it repetitively and we do it effortlessly. So you want to make success a habit. And to me, that takes the need away to rely on your willpower because willpower is only going to take you so far. Eventually, we won't have limited reserves of willpower. And so I apply the willpower in the context of my mind where I go, okay, all I need to do is think about what I want and nothing else. And if I can just master this one simple principle where I stay focused on only what I want and nothing else, then all of my energy is being concentrated towards one thing. Uh, no, Not too dissimilar from, you know, if you, I'm sitting in a room right now and I've got uh, sun shining through the window that sunlight can come through the window all day and it would not destroy, it would not wreck any of my furniture. But if I concentrated that sunlight through a magnifying glass, I could burn things in, my, in this room. And it's the same principle. When we concentrate our energy towards a, a definite purpose, which Napoleon Hill used to talk about, we, we start to get mad. Unfortunately, the problem is most people's thoughts are scattered. They're doing too many things. They're too distracted. There's consumerism entertainment, there's the media, there's the news, there's social media. And because they don't and they have not set big goals for them, they're focused. So then they decide because of conventional wisdom, they say, well, we're going to use willpower. But eventually that runs out as well because it's very, you know, it's, it's training. After a while, you can't do it. So I don't think that that's the most effective way um, to create results. If you're reliant on your willpower, why, not, why don't you find something that you love if you find that thing that you love, then it's going to pull you in. That calling is always there. That doesn't go away because that's something that comes from the heart. It's not an intellectual decision. Steve Jobs was not somebody that was rational. Michael Jackson, they were not rational men. You know, um, They just wanted something and they were obsessed with it because it was coming, it was coming from their heart. When we make a sensible mind-based decision, there's no passion in it. That's why we run out of willpower. Um, so you want something that really you really really, really, really passionate about because you'll find time for it. You will do it when you're physically exhausted. You will do it even if you don't get paid for it. Um, you know, because it's, it's something that's so natural to you. 
Uh, and you've just and the whole and that's why the the whole exercise when I start mentoring people, my first thing is let's figure out who you are exactly who you are. You must know exactly who you are. So we we developed a set of fifteen exercises that they would do to get really really close to identifying exactly who they are. Because once you know who you are, you know your strengths, your values, your passion, your purpose, your mission. Guess what? You're going to make really good decisions. You're gonna you're not no longer going to end up in situations that are not to your liking. You're not going, not going to end up in jobs that are not ideal for you and where you're not operating from your zone of genius. You're not going to end up with the wrong relationship partners. You're not going to make the wrong investment decisions. Why? Because you know who you are. Decision making is a lot easier from that space. So it's all, it's all sort of interrelated there. And you know, I hope I haven't, I'm not making it too complex. But for me, it always comes back to the two things. Understand yourself. Understand how your mind works. 80% of success will just come from those two things. Rest is all mechanics and strategies and so on and so forth. I feel like we could talk about this for at least another hour, Ron, <laughs> uh, but we've already gone past the limit here. I know that you've, in another conversation we had, you talked about psychosomatics, and as far as I understand, that's the relationship between mind and body, and I think psychosomatics refers to disorders where when your mind is uh, out of alignment, it creates physical stress and physical illness, and I definitely have experienced that. I think a lot of people can relate to that. But I think everything we've kind of touched on here is all about creating that alignment between our mind and body, between our thoughts and our deeds, and using that to create our destiny, would you say? Yeah, I agree with all of that, yes. If someone wants to kind of get more information about everything we talked about, what other rec resources, recommended reading would you suggest to people? Um, look, I... Um um, I'm just thinking. Well, uh, when I I was actually uh, I was actually Psycho Cybernetics that I was talking about, which is a, a book by uh, Maxwell okay. Waltz, uh, which talks about the cybernetics mechanism in our mind. Um, but uh, another good book is um, uh, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. It's a it's a really good book. Uh, I highly recommend it. Um, I think Dan Kennedy has a lot to say about Psycho Cybernetics. I think he did a re-released one of those books by Maxwell, I think you said, right? Maxwell Waltz, yes. Yeah, and I think as far as I understand it, it's about like creating those neural pathways where, uh, I know Richard Bandler says that, you know, you can't expect your mind to just, you can't give your mind commands and expect it to do these things. You have to set it in a direction, like a directional intent. And it, if, if you know how the mind works, it goes in directions and you have to be able to intentionally set those directions. Is that kind of like the, the basis of psycho-cybernetics? Um, Psycho-cybernetics is based on this mechanism that um, the cybernetics mechanism is something that um, I guess the best example is a heating system. So if you have a heating system in your house and you you set the thermostat at, say, 21 degrees, and what will happen is the moment the temperature in your house drops to 20 degrees, the heating automatically comes on. It triggers the cybernetics mechanism. The, the temperature, the drop in temperature uh, triggers the cybernetics mechanism and the temperature goes, the heater comes up and the temperature goes back to 21 because that's what you set it at. Now we have a similar cybernetics mechanism in our mind uh, where we have a certain uh, uh, possibility zone of success, financial success, career success, relationship success. We have a self-image uh, and we've got, a, we've got a thermostat set at a certain point. Uh, the moment we, we, hit, we, we close to that upper limit, uh, or we are about to go beyond that upper limit. The cybernetics, it triggers the cybernetics mechanism, and it actually pulls us back into what's what we consider to be a possibility zone. And that's why you'll find that um, 
you know, people that uh, have been on average incomes their whole lives and they come into a lot of money through inheritance or lottery wins, they end up, um, a lot of them end up losing their money. I think statistics, some ridiculous statistic, 85% of people after winning a lottery go back to being in the same financial position or worse off in the first, within the first five years because they've they've inherited the money but their mindset hasn't changed. So much like, um, I get a simple analogy to use is if I have a small glass here and I have a big jug of water, once I keep pouring that jug of water into that glass, once the once it gets to the top, it's going to start to overflow. Uh, not because uh, there's not there is definitely more water out there, but the mind the glass can only hold so much water. So your mind exactly imagine your mind is exactly the same, based on how you've trained your mind and you and you you've structured your neural pathways. You have got a a defined zone of possibility in your mind. Um, you know that's why people do not venture out, and if they feel that oh. You know, there is a certain kind of person that I'm not going to approach at a, at a bar or a nightclub because um, they're, they're too good looking for me or they're too attractive for me. Well, even if you decide to approach that person, what's going to happen is you know what's going to happen. You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to end up, you're not going to be in your element. Why? Because your cybernetics mechanism has just kicked in and it's kind of, it knows that this person that you're talking to is someone that you perceive to be outside of your league. And so it creates this incongruency. Your tone of voice changes. Your how you speak to that person changes. And you think, well, what's going on? I mean, I'm so comfortable generally with the opposite sex. And when I'm speaking to people that I'm not attracted to, I'm in so in my element, and I look so cool, and I speak so cool. But here I am in somebody. I'm in front of somebody attractive, and I'm just a mess. Why does that happen? Because you've just triggered the cybernetics mechanism. It happens with money. If you're up, if you see two hundred thousand dollars to be a lot of money. And you generally, let's just say you, you make $100,000, but you, you perceive 200000 to be a lot of money. You can't have it. You can't have it because it's outside of your possibility zone. It is not something that your mind considers to be normal. So, the, and, and, and it's, in its heart, as you said, you can't just change the mind. And that's why my mentoring programs are six months because it does take me six months to cause that transformation. Unfortunately, a lot of people think that just because they become aware of something, um, because they read a book and maybe watched a few YouTube videos, that that's sufficient. No, it's not. Because now all you have is an intellectual comprehension of that that subject. You have not internalized. You haven't understood and you certainly haven't applied it. And hence, I believe that the transformation is never possible without a mentor. You can learn things. You can get knowledge. You can't get transformation. And hence, uh, even the successful male is about actually doing a blueprint through a mentor. We do not allow people to go through a blueprint without the assistance of a mentor. It is impossible to get transformation. Um, unfortunately, most people will not spend money on a mentor or a coach. Um, and some reasons are justified. A lot of coaches themselves have not achieved uh, results and certainly don't have a long-term track record of producing results. Um, but in other cases, I think just people think that they can somehow wing it or they can figure it out on their own. Uh, not understanding that um, just because you understand something on a conscious level means nothing. It will never transform your behavior still. Uh, that takes time. It takes energy. It takes practice. It takes the uh, right tools and uh, the right guidance. Um, and so that's why I'm such a big, um, you know, I don't do mentorship because it's the primary source of income for me. I do it because I love it so much. I see the transformation it causes in people. I feel like we could do an entire part two just on this one subject, Ron. <laughs> Psycho-cybernetics. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's fascinating. I mean, and yeah. look, I, there's another interesting one that I come across a lot. And 
And I'll very quickly go through this. So people from the subcontinent, you know, people because I'm I'm of uh, Indian heritage, and when I see clients that come from India, you know, a lot of them were brought up in countries where there's a lot of corruption, and you know, they they were brought up thinking, well, people you can't trust people. There's scarcity of money. So some of them may they may migrate to another country. They may become high-level executives, management consultants, doctors, and engineers, and their intellectual faculties are highly developed, but they're still victims of that old paradigm that was set in their mind from a very young age. So even they'll move from country to country, but still find it difficult to, to trust people. They will not be able to outsource things because they value money more than they value their time. And they're not aware of this. All of these unconscious beliefs are dictating their behaviors. And, um, you know, so this, I mean, this is, I could, you know, as you said, we could talk about this forever, example after example of how people are unconsciously making decisions in the most important areas of their life because they do not have a core understanding of who they are and how their mind works. Yeah, I would love to do a follow-up with you at some point and um, just discuss ways to hack this paradigm, you know, and break through these plateaus where, um, you know, people, you know, break out of these, like, self-destructive feedback loops, these things that keep people locked into an average, you know, middle-income, normal life, and, you know, breaking free of this conditioning I think is, is really important. And uh, I have a bunch of suggestions for ways people can do that. Uh, I, I would go on for another half an hour, 45 minutes, so I'm not going to get into that now. But I would love to chat with you again, Ron. And I want to thank you for being so generous with your time today. It's, it's been a long interview, but it's been a lot of fun. Thank you, Danny. Thanks for having me. And it's, uh, it's, it's an honor to be, be on, on your show. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to... Uh, to voice um, some of my insights and experiences um, around human potential. Ron Malhotra, everyone. So if you want more from him, you can go to ronmalhotra.com or thesuccessfulmail.com. Anything else that people should look into if they want more information about this? What do you suggest? Yeah, just connect, just connect with me on LinkedIn or Facebook. I actually like to be very close to people, um, so I don't like to create any invisible barriers between myself and people because I always think that my clients should become my friends and friends should become my clients and so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, just just if you, there's something that I can help you with, you want to shoot me an email, I'll just spell my last name because obviously it's not a conventional last name. It's Melhotra spelled M for Mary, A for Apple, L for Larry, H for Hot. O for orange, T for tango, R for Roger, A for apple. So it's ronmalhotra.com or you can uh, contact me on the successfulmail.com. So contact at the successfulmail.com. And that's a great thing you just said there too, where you, you said that uh, you suggested people connect with you personally, right? Through Facebook or LinkedIn. I find that to be one of the best ways to do better business because there was a study about uh, radiologists who when they were reading CT scans of patients, they actually wrote better reports when they saw photos of the patient beforehand. So it was, it was kind of like that thing where if you, if you like look at someone's photos, for example, the people that you do business with, you start to see them more as a person, you know, rather than just a business contact. And that tends to be a lot better for business too. Do you find that to be like the same in your experience as well? Yeah, I, I mean, that's really interesting, by the way. That's fascinating that you yeah. said that. Uh, I never knew that, but uh, yeah, that makes sense that's to me. That's exactly and what I do, too. You know, I, I, whenever I email someone, I always add them on Facebook. I, I follow them on Twitter, you know, and I even look at their photos before I do podcast interviews because I feel like I get to connect with that person more as a human being. And that makes the business, makes everything work better, I feel. Yeah, I like that, too. I think I like the human-to-human -human connection. So before... 
being a mentor before being anything else i like to just have the human connection and i think that's why i love social media and uh, there's too many people that have a distance um, a professional distance from their clients um but you know, not for me I've, i'm connected to a lot of my clients in my advisory practice i've got nothing to hide who i am personally who i am in business this is my passion so uh you know, I walk my talk. And uh, so, yeah, if you feel free to send me an invite on Facebook. But if you do send me an invite, just let me know who you are, where you heard about me, because I do get a lot of invites on Facebook. And I, know I can never figure out who they are and why they're connecting with me. So it'll be nice to have some context so you can connect with me on LinkedIn as well. Thank you so much, Ron. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you for having me, Danny. It was good to talk to you. Take care.